to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sabbath before we enter into the reflective, repentant time of Lent. All of the readings offered today in the lectionary focus on the glory of God. Moses on the mountain, the psalmist crying out the greatness of the Lord, Jesus being changed in majesty before the eyes of the disciples, Paul reminding us of the hope that we have in this glory. What comes with glory, let us remember, is revelation. When God shows himself, there is blazing light or illumination in our hearts or minds in the process of him showing us something he wants us to understand. Whenever God has allowed his glory to be revealed in his beautiful unfolding story since the beginning of time, it is a gift to us, his people. Second Corinthians is a very personal letter for the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church he loved deeply, but they were so mired in many difficult situations that they could not move forward, much less see God's glory. Paul stayed in Corinth a long time when he first planted this church, 18 months. In the end of his career, he spent seven years, three visits, and four letters of his life trying to keep them from going away from the true course of following Jesus. When we create something, or when we start something, or we invest our lives into someone or something because we want it to grow. It's difficult to see that person or that project struggle in such a way that they may not make it. It's like our baby, maybe our literal baby. True to his character, Paul will not let go. And in this letter, one sees the passion for the truth of the gospel put forth in a way that the people of Corinth will hopefully understand. And even though they had turned against him, he still stands with them. The words from Paul here as we read them are full of contrasts, mostly as he hearkens back to God's people under the leadership of Moses. In this section, Paul is telling the church how they are living in an age that is even more glorious than the age of Moses. Even more glorious than what Moses and those people experienced. 
He's doing that because the church has allowed itself to be taken hostage by some very strong leaders who are insisting that they remain strict in their observance of the law, even as they follow Jesus. And Paul's words here are meant to show them how Messiah has come to bring a new age, an age of freedom, which is predicated on grace and life in the spirit, not just on the law. Denny's sermon last week on love was so helpful for us to remember the difference between being people of love instead of people who are bound by rules. And Paul here is showing us what living out this hope looks like so the church might see God's glory once again. To do so, he uses some word pictures around the idea of veils. He says, remember, Moses veiled himself when he wasn't looking, speaking to the people. He said, the people who have not trusted Jesus have a veil over their hearts. Now, they're different pictures, but in both of the pictures, both of the metaphors, there is a covering up for some reason. Paul says Moses covered his face so that the people would not see the fading glory. Now, there's nothing in Exodus that says that, but Paul's assertion might be correct. Other Jewish historians and, and Christian scholars have thought that maybe Moses covered up his faith at, face at the insistence of the people who couldn't handle the glory displayed there. Maybe Moses couldn't bear to see how the people responded to the truth that he was bringing. In the other instance that Paul describes, when people put a veil over their heart, they're choosing not to see God's glory or truth. That kind of veil is put on for a very different reason. Sin, maybe fear of the glory, maybe an unwillingness to be led and commanded by God, maybe just wanting to stay in the dark, hoping not to be seen. This applies to everyone who doesn't see Jesus as Messiah. Paul's exhortation here is that the church has the opportunity to experience something the people of Moses' day did not. His word picture is actually quite compelling because it speaks of an openness and a vulnerability that God desires of his people. The great hope we have in what God has done in Christ, Paul says, should give us boldness. Jesus makes us bold to be an unveiled people who are free to gaze on the majesty and the beauty and the truth and the light of God's glory. So this morning, as we ready our hearts for communion, let's focus on three ways we see from the scripture that we can live as unveiled people, that we can seek God in his glory and look up. We can be transformed by that glory and look in, and we can be transparent representatives of that same glory in the world and look out. So the first thing we want to notice here is how we can seek God directly. In the time of Moses, we know the people could not access God. They had a human intercessor. Paul is reminding us what a gift it is that we have to be able to come before the Lord at any time. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we will not be turned away. We also have an intercessor, the Lord Jesus, who makes it possible for us to come and talk frankly with the Father. There's no blockage. There's no gatekeeper who says we can't come. 
If we truly seek God, if we truly want to know him more fully, Jesus says, we can come. He implores us to keep coming boldly in prayer for the things we need, to keep coming boldly for those who need his help. He asks us to come, to be in his presence, just to commune, just to be with him so we might find unity through his spirit for our lives and for what we do. This week there was an email going around asking what would happen if we treated our Bibles like we did our phones. And I was like, oh, I don't want to read that. (laughs) And then I stopped and I thought, well, maybe I should think about this for just a minute. It is an interesting and somewhat uncomfortable question in many ways for those of us who love our phones. As a culture, some of us are very tied to our phones. We look at them for answers. Sometimes when we are in the middle of dinner with other people, we want to see who's contacted us every five minutes. We want to stay current with what is happening, so we have these things that pop up, and we're rarely without it, sometimes putting ourselves in peril while we're walking or while we're driving, not looking where we're going. And I know that we are in awe that we have the world at our fingertips, that we can travel to any culture just by pushing some buttons. We can access any information we need. And it's not just our phones. There are plenty of other things that we fix our gaze on that takes us away from God's glory. And so I was convicted this week, as Christians, shouldn't we be more in awe that we're in contact with the one who is over all instead of the fact that we have this information at our fingertips all the time? So I want us to close our eyes right now and listen to Psalm 145. I didn't put it on the PowerPoint on purpose. I want you just to listen to the word of the Lord extolling the majesty of God. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wonderful works, I will meditate. People will speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Let's not be a people who are veiled by the things of the world in a way that we cannot see who God is. Let us not be so comfortable with God, lest we forget that he is full of such glory that would make us fall on our faces and tremble with fear if he so chose. Do not mistake his love and freedom for weakness. He is enthroned in majesty. So let us approach today and be thankful. Let us turn to Christ and allow the veil to be taken away daily so that we can see what is real. Let us look up and see the glory of God. The second way Paul exhorts us to be unveiled is by allowing ourselves to be transformed in his likeness. 
There's a progressive trajectory where God's spirit makes us more like Christ in what Paul calls an ever-increasing glory. This can be a difficult thing for us to lift our heads and allow the Lord to have full access to our souls. We're so used to covering up our shame and our rough edges, hiding who we are from others, that often we can do the same with God. We're so used to putting on what my friend Fred calls the best version of ourselves and being incredibly self-reliant that we forget that God wants to do a work in us. Can he be trusted? What will he do if we are very real with him? Oftentimes we have good reason for shielding ourselves because of deep hurt that we've suffered at the hands of judgmental and abusive people. It's understandable that we would think God is that way too. Paul tells us what we fear most and what we hope most for, that God will change us to be like him. He will make us more humble, more patient, more kind, more honest, more giving, more willing to serve than to be served, more like Jesus, the picture of how we can be if we allow him to transfer our, transform our hearts and minds. So today, let's really look in and see us for who we really are and allow God to see us for who we really are, giving him full access for what needs to change. The third way we can be unveiled as God's people is by being transparent representatives of his in the world. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul tells us that because we have received mercy, we have the ministry of setting out the truth plainly, allowing each person that we tell the truth to to decide for themselves. This is a natural byproduct of the change God does in us. He changes us not for our sake, but for those around us who don't know there is no hope. The difference people see in our attracted to in us is Christ. In this case, Paul had to be very bold and speak quite plainly for the people to understand. It may take a long time, yet he tells us, don't lose heart in this ministry that God has given you. If you are an unveiled witness of God's love and truth, people around you will be impacted for him. Let's keep looking out for the fields are white for the harvest. As we take time for communion this morning, I want you to consider how unveiled your life is right now. Are you seeking God for who he really is? Are you taking time to know him through the many, many ways he has given you? Are you opening your face to him, your heart and your life, continually allowing him to remake you in the image of Jesus? How is he currently working on your character, your habits, and your sin? Lastly, how are you being a transparent witness where you are? To whom are you currently and actively influencing for him? I read something this week that has stayed with me in my quiet moments of reflection. Beholding the glory of God should be the unchanging activity of his people. I'm going to say it again. Beholding the glory of God should be the unchanging activity of his people. 
Paul's challenge for us to continually look up, to allow God to look in and to look out to see where we can act on his behalf is all about living in God's glorious kingdom. It is a life centered on him where we acclimate our lives and activities around him, not the other way around. It is a life where we are readying ourselves to see him face to face when everything will be unveiled forever and we will not have the choice to veil our hearts and our minds and our faces. Communion is a time for us to take stock of our lives, to seek God's glory through his risen son. It is a time where we ask forgiveness and ask God to help us to live how he wants us to. It is where we surrender to the work he is calling us to. It is a moment where we recognize God's glory is being displayed in our lives through our covenant relationship with him. You do not have to be a member of this church or any church to receive communion here. Our table is open to all who come with unveiled faces.